Hello and welcome back to Monumental Podcast. I hope you've had a beautiful week. Thanks so much for being here and spending an hour of your time with me. This is episode six. I can't believe we're here and I can't explain just how much I appreciate you being here. If you have siblings, you'll know that there's no other dynamic like having a brother or sister. At first, you think they're the bane of your existence. You'd sometimes want to kill them. But as you get older, you realize that you'd also kill for them. There's no other bond quite like it. Growing up, my younger brother AJ and I were polar opposites. We fought relentlessly and had very little in common. I was the academic one. In fact, I can't remember a time when my head wasn't stuffed in a book. My brother, however, spent all of his time outside. Although we're still quite different, as we've gotten older, our values have become more aligned. We're both working towards cultivating our dream life. And whilst I'm still figuring mine out, AJ has always had the same goal, to fly airplanes for a living. In today's episode, AJ shares his story about joining the military, specifically the Royal Australian Air Force. His journey has been one of discipline, perseverance and determination. From being a sensitive kid to working in high-stake, high-risk environments, he's grown to become one of the most mentally strong people I know. He shares with us the journey towards fulfilling his childhood dream of becoming a pilot and the numerous failures he's met along the way. He explains how he's turned them into challenges by catching life's curveballs and staying true to his goals. It wasn't all easy though, as with great success comes great sacrifice, which is sometimes the price you pay for following your purpose. This episode is all about the power of determination, the importance of self-belief, and the unwavering drive to achieving one's goals. Join us as we explore the moments that impacted us and the lessons they left us. This is Monumental. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Monumental Podcast. I'm Christina, and today's guest is a very, very special one. I'm I'm actually quite obligated to say that because we are related by blood. So I, I have to say that he's special. He's very special, if you get what I mean. Uh, hi. It's my baby brother, AJ. Say hello. Hello. G'day, everyone. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. Super glad after a few technical difficulties. So for context, we are doing a remote recording because we don't live in the same place. You live in Newcastle, Australia. Right. I do indeed. Do. Yep. Yeah. And I'm currently in London. So we we've actually done a recording before I left for London, but classic me, something glitched on my hard drive and I lost the files. So we've had to come in and do a re recording. So thanks so much for for mm. staying up late for, for me. Yeah, yes. it is quite late. It's literally eleven o'clock now, just about to tick over. So yeah, no, nah, the things you do as your little brother. The things you do for me and for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Thanks so Mainly much. Mainly for the listeners. Mainly it's, for the listeners. Oh, I'm sure they'll appreciate it. They'll appreciate <laughs> it. Thank you so much. Okay, so let's get into it. As as I mentioned, you are my baby brother, my little brother, but how old are you actually? You're what, 25? I'm 24. I'm nearly 25. 24. 26 days. Yep. Oh my God, you're, yep. younger, you're younger than I thought. Mm. That, that's good. <laughs> it, means, it means that I'm younger than I thought. So that's actually a good thing. <laughs> it's um, a positive. Knowing you from since you were born, basically, I've known you your whole entire life. Lucky you. Okay. (laughs) Knowing you for your whole entire life and seeing like who you were as a kid to who you've grown up to be and just the kind of person you are now, like you just, you're so different to who you were as a kid. You are somebody that has a lot of experience with not failure, but challenges. and Challenges. Yeah. Good way to put it. Yeah. And... I and think, you know what? That's how that's how we should view it. We should view them view them as challenges and not as failures. I think yeah, that's totally. probably one of the key elements. Yeah, totally for sure. And so I wanted to bring you on the podcast to talk about your experiences through growth in the form of you know overcoming all of those challenges and really finding your your drive and how to stay determined in trying times. And I think for you in particular your life experience so far is something that's 
that that you've kind of experienced it in a very like a concentrated form of challenges let's let's rewind let's go back to little aj just so we can give the listeners like a starting point to the type of kid that you were growing up basically we were polar opposites i was very nerdy i always had my head in a book outside all the time you were such an adventurous kid always playing yeah so we were quite opposites yeah. growing up the best days for you when it was raining and the worst days for me when it was raining because i couldn't go outside so yeah. yeah so if you were to sum up your essence like when you were a child if, if you were to describe yourself as a child in three words what words would you use i know uh, what words i would use i'd probably say well maybe not three words but three descriptions probably a bit of a mama's boy bit of a uh, bit of a probably goody two shoes wanting to make sure i always follow the rules and you know try and try and just do the right thing i guess <laughs> i would describe you as my three words would be mama's boy sensitive mm-hmm. and a crybaby sensitive oh and a crybaby is that mean like that? no that's no, not at all not at all cried a lot as a kid we were really opposite opposites. we fought a lot but now we're really close, so it's nice to kind of go through that whole circle. And now that we're older, like I don't feel I, – I, I feel less responsibility being your big sister and I feel like you're just my brother instead. And I mm-hmm. think that sort of 180 flip has been a really interesting journey to, to watch you go through. And so now you are one of the most mentally strong people that I know and I feel like now we're kind of opposites where I'm the sensitive one and I definitely am always in my emotions and always in my feelings and I'm very heart first, like forget about my head. Like I don't even know where my head is at most of the time, but I'm trying to be more pragmatic and I'm trying to be more forward thinking and focused. So this episode, we are going to be talking about how to stay disciplined in times of hardship and in times of challenges and also how to avoid disillusion as well, which I think is a really big one. And you in particular, I think are a good person to talk to about this because you work in an industry where you have to be incredibly disciplined and incredibly motivated and switched on all of the time. And it's it's a really hard balance for you to maintain your mental health alongside your work as well, because it's very it's it's high stakes essentially, right? Mm, yeah, it is. So, so for context, you are in the military. You're in the air force. Do you want to talk a little bit about how long you've been in the air force and what your role in the air force is as well? Yes, yeah, so I've been in now six and a half, nearly yeah, closer to the seven year mark. I've been in, and yeah. So my background is my uh, my official job title is airfield defence guard. However, my I guess my actual job role within that mustering is a sniper and more so a sniper team leader. So my job consists of facilitating and the coordination, planning and tactical employment of sniper teams out on the ground. I knew that when you were little, it was always something that interested you. Yeah, for me, it was kind of like this real weird thing when I was younger that I'd always used to try and just be sneaky, you know, try and be cunning and sneaky and Mm-hmm. You know, funnily enough, it's I've found a job which, you know, is pretty much exactly that. It is a very niche job. So hence why you know so much about how how to build mental stamina because there's so much responsibility mm. in your role and there's so much pre- precision required and a lot of perseverance required as well. Obviously, like you go through a lot of training to get to the point where you are, but just I think for me, just like knowing who you were as a kid, like how did you become this person? Because it really has been such a journey to see you grow into the young man that you are. So, <laughs> the young man, yeah. So give me a bit of an understanding on what it was like joining the military at first. Like you were 18. Describe to me who you were and then how joining the military really challenged you at first. Yeah, it's a good question. So probably a bit of exposure here, which, you know, I'm, I'm saying cool with, but I was a bit of a mama's boy growing up and it was to the point where I'd get quite homesick. So like I'd spend the night at a mate's house and I'd be, you know, missing mum and dad and you to an extent. And, you know, like even school camps, 
waking up in the morning or, you know, even before like going to bed at night, I'd be like, oh my God, like I just want to be at home. And I remember, I actually remember being sent home from school camp and then dad driving me out the next day just because I was so homesick. So for me, I knew straight away, like the biggest challenge I was going to face joining military was was being homesick straight off the bat. And that was something that I, you know, I knew it was going to happen, but I didn't know exactly mm-hmm. how I was going to deal with because it's not like you can just send me home. Like I'm in the military now, right? Like you can't just be like, yeah, sweet. Like you can just go home, man. Like it wasn't going to be like that. And I remember when I got my letter of offer, I was like, oh my God, this is actually, this is actually going to happen. I'm going to have to move away from home now. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I mean, the, I was surprised. Yeah, for sure. I think like also like for added context of like just how much of a, of a home homesick mama's boy you were like you even had a teddy bear up until like what age (laughs) i still had it when i joined the military funnily (laughs) enough (laughs) when i joined the air force and one day i came home when i was on leave and it was gone and i didn't know where it was honestly rightfully so mum and dad did you a favor because that (laughs) that thing stunk so bad like you wouldn't even unique you wouldn't even let us wash him and he was falling apart his name was bluey and you slept with him every night but you were that kid. You were that sweet, sensitive little kid who had his teddy bear. Loved. I was. Yeah. And I remember kind of thinking, like, grow up. Why do you have to come home from camp? Like, it's just camp. <laughs> I know, yeah. But I understand, yeah. like, I understand it now. But I think, yeah, at the time I was like, why is he so upset? Like, why is he so homesick all the time? Yeah. Um, it's funny that you bring that up because now I think about it and I know exactly where it stems from. It's because, you know, our our dad's pretty old and I remember I used to be like, oh, you know, like we, we don't have, I don't know how long we have with dad left because he's, you know, he was an old dad for us, like he's an old father. For context for the listeners, dad had us very late. He was in his late 50s when he had us. So now he's he's 84 now, but he's turning turning 85 in a couple of months. Yeah, he, thankfully yeah. dad's still strong now, kicking around, doing well. But I think that was educated in us quite young. So for us, like, you know, and for me in my head, I'd be like, oh, well, you know, dad's like our best friend, like mum and dad are our best friends. You know, we need to make sure that we spend as much time as we as we can, you know? Yeah, of course. I definitely relate to that. I think it's something that I've always been aware of, just how much time we have with dad and and, and his age. And I think it's it's made a lot of moves really difficult for me. Especially like when I moved from Hobart to Melbourne, I was like, you know, is this the right thing for me to do? Like, I want to stay for dad. I want to be around. Obviously, like it's only an hour flight. So I was like, okay, it's just, it's just a short flight away. I'm not going that far. And now I've moved to London and I'm even further away. And that's been a huge emotional adjustment for me to like not feel guilty about it. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. But in like in saying that, like dad's always been supportive of our of our dreams and he's always the first one to tell you to go for it. So um, Yeah, both mum and dad, yeah, both both have been super supportive of us chasing our dreams. And you know, like yeah, that's probably one of the best values. We've always been supported since we were young. So Yeah, totally. And I think also in saying all of that, even though like we are so conscious of how important family is to us because of the context of how we've grown up and and knowing that we don't have as much time with dad as, as other kids might. I also don't regret having an old dad because it's got a lot no, of not at all. perks as well. Like, I don't know about you, but like, I love hearing all the stories that dad has to share, like, especially all his travel stories and just all of his wisdom about life. And I don't think we mm. would have that like sort of deeper appreciation for life if if he wasn't our dad. Yeah, I agree. I definitely agree. The The wisdom and the sense of travel, like a dad living on a yacht for 18 years and traveling the world, you know, that's yeah. that's inspiring stuff. You know, how many people can say that they've just traveled around the world and lived life to the fullest, you know? Yeah. I'm sure it's inspired you to travel and totally. take, take steps and embrace any opportunity that comes up, you know, yeah. with open up. And that's exactly how... I've appreciated, you know, dad for that. So Yeah, of course. Yeah. I think he's if there's one thing that he's instilled in us, it's to follow your dreams and it's to it's to prioritize your life over anything else and never let never let a job stand in the way of anything. Never let fear yeah. stand in the way of anything. So that's been an amazing lesson that he's taught us. And I think despite being 
scared and having challenges. I think he's instilled in both of us the uh, the ability to still go after things and not let it stop us. Tell me more about in initially joining the military. Like, what was the biggest shock for you aside from the homesickness? Like, how how actually did it impact you? If I'm being brutally honest, you know, the first three weeks of recruit training, you just you're absolutely pumped. Like, yeah. You just have task after task and you have timings to meet. So you don't have time to think about, you know, the outside world. You're so consumed with what's happening within, but you're so invested into the tasks at hand. You don't even have an ability to think about what's happening on the other side of, you know, of that fence. They try and almost reset you, I guess. They try and reset and then build you back up again. So it's interesting that you went in thinking you would be really homesick and that it didn't end up happening. I guess it kind of shows that no matter how much you prepare for something or you think of something, it's never going to happen the way that you think. Yeah, I agree. Like you, you never know what's around the corner. You never know what's going to happen. See, I guess that's one of the biggest things is in embracing new things and opportunities and challenges. Because most of the time it ends up better than what you could have even imagined in the first place. What else did did joining the Air Force instill in you? How did it reset you? What was a bit of a shock was me having to deal with timings and having to meet objectives that, you know, you've never been put in a situation like that where you know that there's going to be a consequence. And that's only that's only gotten bigger and bigger as my military career's gone on. I've had to take bigger risks, make bigger decisions with have having, you know, bigger consequences. So now it's that whole level of, you know, having to have the level of responsibility to make sure that you make those decisions and you embrace those risks and, and those outcomes. Okay. So when when you're faced with really big challenges, what's your advice on like how to pragmatically assess a situation? Because for me, I am so emotional first that I will just follow my feelings and then forget about all the facts. Like I can't process facts. Like how do you how do you go about changing or adjusting the way that you think so that you're thinking of that you're thinking objectively? Okay. Yeah. So for me, in essence, like what I like to do is, you know, I always think looking at the end goal, you're always going to overwhelm yourself, especially if it's a big challenge. So breaking it down into small chunks. And, you know, small little milestones will help will help you overcome whatever it is, you know, that's in front of you. Not looking too far ahead because that's when you get overwhelmed and then totally. being overwhelmed creates all of these emotions and then you start to get, you know, anxious and then you don't want to take the next step because, you know, and that's going to be such a long journey. So making whatever it is at hand and breaking it down, you know. So- I, I agree with you. Like I, I've always been more of a big picture thinker and I always thought that that was a good thing, but it it was you're right it resulted in me just being constantly overwhelmed and i couldn't figure out what what my next step was like what i was supposed to do even though my goals were clear i couldn't establish the pathway to getting there whereas yeah. now i'm at a point where i am really consciously only looking at my direct next step and mm. and taking that one step in whatever direction, like whatever is the right decision for me right now is the step that I'll take. And then from there, I'll assess what other stones turn and then I'll make the decision that's right for me at that point and then slowly, slowly work my way forward. I'm trying not to zoom out too far, which is challenging for me because it's what I've always done and how I've always been. But I, I like your advice about breaking down your goals into things that are actually actionable right now yeah yeah and that's like it's how we're taught to mission plan like when i when i've been taught to mission plan we break it down and when i deliver like a mission set or orders to to my team you know it's broken down into stages you know phase one is going to be xx phase two is going to be the infiltration onto you know target or whatever it might might be now you break it down so you can systematically approach what the next step is going to be you know, for me during, I don't know, let's say, let's just use my sniper selection course, for example, you know, that's a week and, you know, by, you know, night one, you sting in because you've been, you've undergone heaps of physical testing that day. You, you've got your night navigation checkpoints now and you, you know, you're going to be up for two, two, three days now. And you're like, oh my God, like, I don't, you know, the ending is so far. I've still got to get to the end of the week. But, you know, when you, when you're actually stepping off and you're, 
you're doing your thing. You have all these thoughts running through your brain. You're all alone. It's bloody two in the morning. You're like fucking lost in the bush somewhere or whatever it might be. You think, oh shit, like I need to get to the end of the week. But realistically, the best way to approach it is, all right, I know, I know where the end goal is, but what's the next step? Okay. The next step is I need to figure out where I am. All right, cool. Let's figure out where I am. Do your resection, do whatever you need to do. All right, sweet. What's the next step? All right, I need to figure out how to get to the next checkpoint. Can I get to the next checkpoint within the time frame? Oh, probably not. All right, that's okay. Well, can I, at a minimum, put one foot in front of the other? Yeah, I can do that. All right, well, let's start with that. Let's put one foot in front of the other. And if we get there on time, then, you know, happy days. If we don't, it's all good. You know, you've still made progression either way. So it's yeah. breaking it down and taking that first initial step to get that ball rolling, start making progression. And you can make those steps as small as you want. Like like you said, like you phys- physically one foot in front of the other. You can count that as a step, like as exactly. part of as part of your progress. So you can really you can really decide for yourself how 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 big or small you want those those steps to be as long as they're actionable and as long as they're within your capacity of mm-hmm. doing. Exactly. No matter how big or how small it is, progression is progression. That's all it is. I said before, like I'm so heart first that I struggle with prioritizing things I need to do versus things that I feel like doing. Like sometimes I'll be like, I need to go to the supermarket. I need to cook dinner. But I'm like, oh, I feel like watching a movie. I feel like I feel like rearranging my cupboard of highlighters, which is not a priority, but I, f- I procrastinate a lot and I'll do so many little things instead of focusing on the things that I need to do. I just don't think I'm a very disciplined person and I want to mm. become more disciplined. And I think one thing the military definitely would teach you is how to be disciplined, whether that's physically or mentally. I think there's probably where my role, my position is unique is I need to be disciplined because dudes are riding on me to make yeah, a decision. Yeah, it's high stakes. It's high st- I mean, exactly. if, I, yeah. if I don't get my to-do list done today, who's the person that loses out? Me. It affects yeah. just me. I need yeah. to hold myself more accountable. Obviously for you, because the stakes are so much higher, I guess there's more motivation behind it. But can you break down for me like the, the, the essence of, of how to be disciplined when, and how to hold yourself accountable? For me, I, I think about the why. Why, why am mm. I doing this? Okay, mm. why, why do I need to go and do grocery shopping? Okay, right, I'm going to do grocery shopping because my body needs fuel and I need to eat. Okay, I acknowledge that, but what's, what's the benefit here? Okay, my body needs fuel so I can go to the gym and push weight so I can then be physically healthier, I can perform my job better and you know, do it effectively and efficiently. That's what my problem yeah. is. Yeah. I do my tasks based on what I feel like doing rather than mm. what I should be doing. So I need to rearrange my thought process in order of priority and know that, okay, I need to cook dinner. Otherwise, I'm not going to eat all night. Like I just procrastinate and I don't prioritize the right things. I think it also comes down to, I mean, this is like slightly off topic, but but having to do everything on my own as well. Like, if I need to do dinner, I need to go grocery shopping. I need to then prep all the food and then I need to cook the food and then I need to clean up after myself. And it's just so it's just so much to do on your own and I'm used to yeah. it now. But I think that sort of discourages me a lot and I end up like not really taking care of myself the way that I should be. And so yeah, and I get it. I'm learning to hold myself more accountable and and take care of myself more. Sometimes I'm like in a really good routine, I'm really prioritizing myself and I'm really looking after myself. And then sometimes I'm like, I eat toast for dinner five nights a week because I just can't bring myself to do anything more than that. Yeah. Sometimes it comes to like balancing what, you know, what willingness you're going to be able to put in and what the outcome's going to be. It's like if you hate cooking, you hate going grocery shopping, like do one big grocery shop and then meal prep for the whole week. So then you don't need to worry about food you don't have to worry about going grocery shopping so you're minimalizing the task at hand through doing more of it in one sitting you know like meal prepping you're good for the week bang that's going to be a better outcome because you know you're not going to be having toast for dinner five nights of the week i yeah i will say that like i do appreciate when past me has taken care of future me 
Like exactly, if I've yeah. if I've if I've made myself leftovers for the next day and then it gets to the next day and I'm like, oh my God, thank God I did that. Thanks past Christina for taking care of future Christina. I now mm. need present Christina to take care of future Christina as well. And I need to make that yeah. more of a more of a priority for sure. But yeah, I just I really struggle with with being that disciplined. One way where you've been incredibly disciplined is in following your goals to becoming a pilot. So even though you're in the Air Force and you're a sniper, you've actually also been working towards another goal of yours, which is to become a pilot. And that has been a very long, long and difficult, tedious, challenging journey for you. And you are now very, very close to the end of that journey. You are so, so close. Like It is within your reach, but it has been a huge journey for you. Can you share how, how long that has taken and the challenges that you you've had to overcome yeah yeah i sure can so for me aviation and, and piloting has been something that i've been that i've experienced since we were young you know oh, going literally to since you were a kid since, yeah. since you were a baby you have been obsessed with planes i have obsessed. yeah exactly as i have yeah like little toys and you know dad dad taking me to the airport and watching planes take off and land you know some of the earliest memories for me yeah yeah so, you guys would literally you and dad would drive all the way out to the airport to watch planes yeah i yeah. did not get it Bit i, I mean i kind of understand it now but at the time i was like what mm. what i know i still don't really get it. a bit of an aerosexual thing i think aerosexual like yeah it's a okay. term they use for people that are obsessed with planes but yeah i actually tried to join the air force as a pilot and i didn't even pass the aptitude testing so for me, ADG was a second kind of, you know, it was a bit of backup plan. I'll get my foot in the door, being an ADG, being a follower, and then trying out later for pilot when I'm more mature, I'm older, emotionally, you know, I can make better decisions. You know, 18 year old me, I would not have lasted. So for me, this has been quite long in the making. And since putting in my application, it's taken me three years to get to the point I am at now. And it's been a lot of study. It's been a lot of, you know, late nights, early mornings, and a few failures along the way as well. You know, I don't have a university degree. You know, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. Like for everyone that's listening that knows me personally, like I'm a bit of a fucking blunt knife, I think. But um, I think like, like growing up, oh, like, let's be honest, I was the academic one. You were the sporty yeah, kid. I was I the was, book yeah. smart kid. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, books, maths was just never your forte. No, it wasn't at all. And I've had to work fairly hard to try and bridge that gap. So yeah, I don't have university, I don't have anything. So I needed to prove myself to the board, the people that progressed the application that I had the smarts and I had the motivation and, you know, had the drive to actually even be a pilot. So I went and did my, I went to a flight school in my spare time on the weekends and I sat a yeah I sat a, a theory course to help me pass my private pilot's license exam, my theory exam. And the first attempt at my exam, I failed. Right, I got like fifty something percent. And everyone knew I was going for it. Everyone was like, "How'd you go in your exam?" And I was like, "Yep, yeah, not too good, failed it." But I I'm doing it again next week. I'm doing it again. I knew exactly why I didn't get it the first time, and I was like cool, I'm going to work on that and I'm going to be good to go in a week. Like I was spending no time like procrastinating or wasting time. I was like, no, I'm getting straight back on the horse. So I knew and exactly what is, I needed to do. This and is yeah. also outside of your current job. So you were doing this completely in your own time. So at, at the time I was actually out in Singleton Military Training Area instructing on sniper sniper course. And I was, I remember studying in my bivy bag in like my sleeping bag and like yeah like a waterproof lining and i remember having to study in that under my torch and i was yeah. studying at night time and i was study i'd wake up early so i could study and get my head in the books and you know just prep myself for um for the test that was coming up so and you know that probably sounds pretty stupid but to me that was that made complete sense you know i was utilizing my spare time as best as i could because i was so busy throughout the day so for me, that made complete sense, putting myself in that situation where, you know, I'm, I'm studying in incredibly non-ergonomic environments. That's how you overcome failure. You, you got to put yourself out of your comfort zone. You got to 
make those sacrifices. You just had to utilize as much of your time as possible to study. How did you stay disciplined in that regard? And how did you hold yourself accountable there? Because for me, like I need to feel a certain way. I need to be in the right headspace. I can't just like switch on and off in terms of like getting my tasks done. Like I need to have I need to set my day up. I need to have all of my things in its place before I'm in the right headspace to do anything. So the fact that you were there studying in your sleeping bag with a torch in crazy environments, how did you get yourself into that headspace? I guess for me, it was pretty much just like, I'd always just draw on that passion. You know, what am I doing this for? Okay, I want to have the best job that the Air Force gets to offer. A military pilot flying, you know, fighter jets potentially one day. It was honestly just drawing on that passion and that end goal being like, yeah, I want to be here. That's where I want to be. All right, cool. So in the meantime, I've got to put in the hard yards here. I've got to study. I've got to wake up at 4.30 in the morning and study before everyone else gets up. So you went back for your test the second week. What happened? Yeah, I went back the second week and got it passed, which I was you know, pretty stoked about. I was a lot more confident the second time around. Got the, got the certificate, which was good, and then was able to send it off with my pilot application. So that was the next the next step. And actually, you know, I, I knew I needed to do that. And there was also a lot of other things I needed to do. Like I said earlier, in my first ever attempt for pilot when I was 17 at the time, before I, when I tried to join the Air Force, I didn't even pass the aptitude test. So I then enrolled and paid for all these aptitude test, tests online and did these mentor packages to help me pass the aptitude testing. And then from there, I passed these, I passed the aptitude testing. I was like, sweet, what's the next, what's the next thing that I need to pass? Okay. The next thing I need to pass is, you know, the pilot math and additional testing. Okay. What do I need to do here? I need to get really, really good at trigonometry or I need to get really, really good at ripping aircraft gauges and comprehending what each aircraft gauge, you know, says. And that was the next thing I had to do. So I was focusing on that. And I was like, all right, sweet. Once I got through that, once I passed that test and I was approved to, to keep going forward, the next thing for me was the aviation screening program, which was the biggest hurdle of my life today that I've ever, ever had to overcome. And for me, that was the next biggest failure. What is an aviation screening test? Yeah, and so how, the long, aviation, how long ago was this? This was last year. The aviation screening program is ASP, they call it. Is It's 20 different cognitive tests, which encompass seven different cognitive domains, which are all relevant to being a pilot. It's lots of science, lots of psychology that's gone into it. And these 20 different tests, they all contribute to those seven cognitive domains. And how well you do on all those tests, you get spit out your results on a chart and it determines how well you perform in each cognitive domain. You know, one domain might be strategic task management. So your ability to switch between tasks and prioritize different tasks. The next one might be short-term memory capacity, how good your short-term memory capacity is. Another one is your psychomotor, so how good you are with your hands and feet. So mm-hmm. it's, the like ASP, a, it's like the, the ultimate personality test. It's insane, yeah. It's absolutely insane. So for that test, is for, for the ASP, it's incredibly hard, incredibly hard to study for because it's it's a natural, natural cognitive domain testing kind of thing so you can't expand your short-term memory you know it's just like that it's not like learning a math equation where you, you learn the math equation and then you got it in your head you know you can't train your brain incredibly quickly to be able to switch between tasks or comprehend tasks so these tests are so hard to study and practice for because they are there to test your natural ability yeah um, right okay so you know for me like i said earlier i'm not the sharpest tool in the shed but i figured out ways in which I could help myself get better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, lucky for me, there's so many resources out there which helped me get better, you know, like heaps of brain training games, heaps of mentors that actually would help me be like, hey, this is how you do it. This is the best mes- best method for this. You know, me buying, me spending $6,000 on a flight simulator in my room to help me with my coordination and strategic task management and actually comprehending playing flight sim and what it's like to actually fly a plane, being like, yeah. okay, what's my speed? I have a Where's Wally book, which probably sounds really stupid, which helps with my, it helps with my scanning and your ability to visually interpret data 
and rapidly yeah. search for things, which sounds pretty stupid, but hey, it that relates to that domain, right? It does. So it's it's about thinking outside the box, figuring and out taking what's this, the, again, you. breaking down that end goal into small actionable steps. Exactly. Yeah. So tell me about how your how that test went. You said it was another failure. Yeah. So that test initially, like I, so I sat the testing. It's like goes over like two days of testing. There's like two testing days. So it's split in half and yeah, got my results after the second day in the afternoon and I'd met the standard and passed for pilot. So I was deemed like, you know, smart enough, but I wasn't competitive enough to be given an offer. Unfortunately for in-service transfers, it's, it's quite, or at the time it was quite difficult to get an offer because there was such minimal spots available. I think there was only like two or three or four spots or something ridiculous. So you had to be pretty well off and I wasn't I wasn't I was nowhere near you know top 10 I don't reckon I was probably like down the bottom I'm probably like 100th person or something so for me I wasn't competitive enough but I was happy because I'd passed the standard for pilot at least so for me after that I was like all right cool you know I know I have one more shot I'm coming back and I'm gonna try it again in 12 months for me it was an easy decision hey I'm coming back in 12 months and I'll see you then 12 months so you couldn't you couldn't sit the test again any earlier? No, no, not at all. I actually, no, it was a minimum 12-month wait. So knowing that you were so close and you technically passed but you weren't competitive enough and then also knowing that you would now have to wait 12 more months, like this this pushed out your plans and your goals by a year. How did you mm. still stay motivated? Because yeah. I feel like for me, like if I – if I put a goal in place, I'm so impatient. I can't wait. I can't, if I put in long-term goals, I can't wait for them. I've never been yeah. that patient with something. You know, if it was taking too long, I would just forget about it because like, I just can't commit to it that long. I don't know why. I don't know what it is, but how did you still stay passionate about it? How were you not like disenchanted by it? How did you avoid disillusion? Yeah, so it's a bit of a weird one because at the time I had a pretty tough decision to make. I was looking at being promoted and with that promotion came in your you know, sniper being, team. Yeah, in my okay. in my in my career as it was, I was looking at being and I was already a sniper team leader. You know, I'd already achieved more than I'd ever wanted to in the, my ADG career. And then they're looking at promoting me and then moving me somewhere else into like a training role in the wider air force. You know, that didn't interest me at all. So I purposely didn't do my promotion courses, my last promotion course, because I didn't want to promote. I didn't want to move away. I was like, I'll find a comfortable place for me to sit where I'm happy still and then keep pursuing my dream. The biggest thing was keeping that passion at the forefront of my mind, keeping that that goal and that open-mindedness there. Hey, you know what? It's all good. Didn't get there the second time. I got one more chance. And no one's telling me no until I genuinely have no more opportunity to explore that. So you, you, it really does come back to you about like just understanding how strong that that passion was and what your goal was, and not letting anything sway it. Okay, interesting. Yeah, and you know, and it's funny because the pilot that did my debrief the first time, he was like, "Mate, you know, look at your results. In order for you to be competitive, you need to be at the literal opposite end of the spectrum." And he's like, you don't see it happen very often. He's like, you got to come a long way. He was trying to throw me off a bit. And I was like, that sounds like a challenge to me. Sounds good. I knew I was going to come back strong just to prove a point, prove him wrong, prove me wrong. So do you really think it added, proud. it added fuel to? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. When you get people around you that tell you, you can't do something, I'll prove you wrong as much as what, like, I'm going to prove myself that I'm worth it. You know, like you put that fuel into the same fuel that you're burning and you know obviously you're going to get a bigger flame out of it so yeah. you know use use those people as motivation don't let them discourage you you know it didn't sway you at all did at any point did you have any doubts like am i supposed to be doing this like is this the right thing for me am i just chasing something impossible should i just give it up while i'm still somewhat ahead while i still have another mm -hmm. career going really strong for me that never crossed your mind no nah, not not in the not at a point that had any sort of persuasion to my mind like there was there was moments where i was like am i really 
am I really like, am I going to be really okay to, to be a pilot? Am I going to even pass this testing? You know, then it was like, Hey, you know what? I'm never, ever going to know unless I try. So you waited the 12 months and you, you, you fully committed to chasing this. But I want to know, like, where did that determination come from? Do you feel like you were just born with it? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I was actually listening to a podcast by an ex-fighter pilot. His name's Christian Pacusis. And he was saying, he was asked the same question. Why do you want it to be a pilot? And I can, I can, I feel like this resembles with me. Like he doesn't know why. And you, you might not ever know why you're passionate about something, but for some reason, deep down, it just feels right. And then whenever I've been flying and done flying lessons, I've gone up with my mate Chris that has his own plane and we've flown, or if I've been in the back of a hack, you know, in the cockpit or something like that, sitting behind the pilots, it just feels like the right place to be. And it's just at home. I feel like I, I belong there. And, you know, some people probably don't even, ha- haven't even experienced that yet. But when you do experience that feeling of belonging and that feeling of passion, there's nothing will stop. Nothing will, you'll give up anything, you know, because that's your calling in life. So for me, I'm just grateful that it happened quite early on. I know exactly where I want to be. I think that's where a lot of the challenges for a lot of people, it is finding that passion. Like it's one thing to understand why you're doing something, but finding what it is that you want to do is the other half of the problem. And I think that's where I've sort of struggled a lot. Like obviously have quit my job and I'm starting all over again. And for me, the number one driver was to find my purpose and to find more, just, just to get more. I didn't know what it was. I still don't. I still don't know what I want my career to be. And it's very scary giving up the last 10 years of my life working towards something like fully, like going to university for it, working full time to just give it all up to start all over again. And I don't really know what to, I don't have any advice about it just yet, but it is lucky that you found that so early on in your career and in your life and you found your your purpose and what you want to do. And then the understanding the why comes a little bit easier when you feel so strongly about it. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing is embracing the challenges and embracing the hardship and being like, yeah, I'm going to leave what I have behind here because you know what, I'm going to be in a better position no matter what. And if it does lead to failure, hey, what the hell, at least you gave your best shot, right? You know, for me, whether or not I end up being a pilot in two, three years time when I finish my training, I can at least turn around and confidently say, hey, I gave it my all. I literally gave it my all. And that's a, that's the only thing you can expect from yourself in life is to just give it the best shot you have. And everything else is out of your control. Is that how you have become friends with failure? Like how you've become accepting failure as a possibility and being okay with it just just fully embracing that you tried regardless yeah 100 percent. by any means of failure you will always be richer for the experience no matter what it is whether mm. or not you look like a fool you know you look like a fool in front of everyone at least you get your best shot and that's all you can expect at the end of the day you are there to make yourself happy you know you're entitled to your own happiness and you're at the center of your masterpiece right yeah no, i understand it a lot more now like I used to be really scared of failure like I was such a high achiever and overachiever I had to be the best I had to be perfect and I don't know maybe you know that from like growing up but like I had to be perfect and I think I was just I was scared of failure because I was scared of how it looked I didn't want to seem not good enough or that I was not worthy enough but yeah. now I think I'm at a point where everything I do is truly 100% for myself. And so even if it looks like failure from the outside, nobody knows the the purpose behind anything more than I do, more than I know the reasons and the why for myself. Nobody else may understand that. As long as I've learned something and I've grown from it, that's all that matters. Like, yes, I'm resetting my life right now. Some people might look at that as the wrong move. Like, why would you throw all of that away and start all over again? I don't expect you to understand it anymore. I need to do this for me. And you're right. I'm richer from the experience of it. And I think it's just also about removing the external commentary. And if you don't understand, I don't expect you to. I understand why I need to do it. Yeah. No, I agree 100%. Taking those opportunities and growing from those opportunities is something that, you know, I think we kind of take for granted a lot of the time. 
because we're scared of those, as you said, the, the commentary and, you know, the judgment that people around you might say. And, you know, it's funny because I've reached that point in my life, probably a bit of a controversial one, but I am absolutely more than happy to cut people out of my life now. And I have yeah, cut 100%. so many people out of my life. You know, we're, we're so caught up on being a people pleaser, showing that you're the perfect person on social media platforms or whatever. And I have just reached that point in my life where if you're not going to contribute to my life in a positive way, you're out, you're done. Yeah. And it's as simple as that. You know, you cannot please every single person. You know, why, why should they influence the decisions you make and the steps that you want to take and the opportunities you want to take on in life? You know, right? The people that surround you should be the people that bring positivity to, and value to your life and not drain you, not do the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so coming back to staying focused and committed, you went back 12 months later. Yep. I did a lot more study the second time around, had a proper training program that I'd wrote up and was staying committed to it every single day. I was doing some sort of study, you know, whether it was half an hour and then, you know, to the months leading up to ASP, my second ASP, I'd really ramp up the study and was doing like big study sessions at nighttime after yeah. work. And yeah. I remember like I would try calling you sometimes and you'd be like, I can't talk like I'm studying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And unfortunately, like that's the sacrifices that you have to make when you're, yeah. when you're fully committed to something. But like the right people understand those sacrifices. Yeah. And I, unfortunately, you know, just before my second ASP, my, my relationship broke down and a lot of that was attributed to me going for pilot and me being so focused on that. I actually made my partner at the time feel less valued. And, you know, the things that I said probably didn't make a whole lot of sense to her and I was just extremely motivated at the time. Of course. And, I think know. I think it's totally valid to you know like like you said, like this has been your passion. This has always been your goal. You will stop at nothing to get there. Unfortunately, you know, people people come and go in the process. Yeah, you know, it just sucks that you you do lose those people on the journey to to success. At the end of the day, everything happens for a reason, right? And that's probably, you know, another key point in this is like, you know, you can control what you you can control, but at the end of the day, you know, we are only in charge of those things and everything, no matter what it is, will have a reason and things will work out exactly the way they're meant to. Yeah, I believe in that, but to a degree, like I think everything happens for a reason, but I think you have to put in the effort to make sure it gets there at the same time. 100% like, you do. If it's meant to happen, it'll happen, but you also have to earn it and you do, and work hard for it at the same time. Yeah. I think a better way of saying it is if, if you deserve for it to happen, it will happen. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, from a positive aspect, yeah. Positive things will happen if you put in, put in the effort, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, so yeah, I guess... You know, I, I sat ASP again the second time and did well and was given a letter of progression to, to move on further in the application process. The next step was to pass an interview, pass the selection board, which there I There are so many did. steps. Like I'm starting to get lost with how many steps there were. I know. There's a lot. And that's why it's taken so long. So yeah. it's a competitive process. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people apply to be a RAF pilot. I was going to ask, yeah. like, to, to put it into perspective, like just how focused and how determined do you need to be to out-qualify and edge out all of the other people? From the statistic that I've, I've been told, it's like 2%. You know, that's probably a bit of an old statistic, but yeah, 2% was the, was the number from people wow. applying to actually getting to, to course and I think passing. It's, it's crazy. So you get to the interview stage and finally we're at the present moment. Like this interview happened this week, like Wednesday, three days ago. Yeah. So yeah. we are at the present present moment now. We are, um, yes. This is the last step. This is okay. the last step. The From last here step. it's out of my power. So tell us how yeah. how it goes. Did you pass? Yeah. 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 So I got, got recommended, got a pretty solid Round of applause after three <laughs> years. Three yeah, years, we finally no. get to this moment. This is a huge monumental moment for you. You do the interview, yeah. you pass, you do amazing. Yeah, it did, did what I needed. To, I'm not going to lie. I felt prepared, felt calm once I got into like a nice rhythm that could only be attributed to the, the people around me that, that helped me 
prepare and, and get to that level and share their knowledge. So yeah, it, it went really well. And for me now, I'm just um, in the selection pool. I've been told I'll hear back from them within the month, hopefully, all things going well. But yeah, you know, at the moment, now I'm just down to my power. I've done everything I've needed to do. So it's just full chill. Like I just surfed all day today, didn't have to worry about studying. And yeah, you know, it's it's a good feeling knowing that I've put in all that effort to now just be in the waiting game. Yeah. Well, as your sister, it's been so amazing to watch you go through all that whole journey, like joining the Air Force and seeing all the places you've been to and all the work that you've done. Thank and you. even though you'll always be my little baby brother, I'm so proud of you and, and what you've achieved and where you're going and have always believed in you 100% you've come a very long way and you've really proven you've really you've proven so much to yourself i'm sure now you know that you can do anything because you've you've gotten through all of that this is just the beginning like you know this is obviously just the selection process to even be given an offer to try but for me you know you gotta you i guess you gotta turn around and pat yourself on the back every now and then you know turn around look how far you've come no matter what journey you're taking in life no matter what comparison you try and make with other people I think the biggest thing is to turn around and think, hey, yeah, you know, I'm, I've made it a damn good way. So, yeah, give yeah. yourself a pat on the back no matter what it is. Of course, absolutely. W- while still appreciating the journey and looking back and appreciating how far you've come and also acknowledging that there's still a long way to go, what is your ultimate dream, ultimate goal? I know that we're trying to avoid bigger picture, but let's let's do it. Let's zoom out. What's the ultimate goal yeah. for you? I'd say the ultimate goal for me is to be happy. And I believe, I thoroughly believe I'll find that happiness through being a pilot, if I'm, mm-hmm. if I'm being honest, and more so a military pilot than anything. You know, I love, I love being a pilot of the military. I love serving, you know, for our country. I love the travel. And I guess one of the biggest things is I love being around like-minded people that are there to help me grow and motivate me. I'm sure the listeners are probably pretty bored of me by now, but the biggest thing is really try and just find your passion if you can and if you haven't found your passion keep searching for it take every opportunity you can no matter what it is get out and about go meet people go and experience the world you never know what's around the corner honestly you absolutely never know and i think that's the biggest thing is taking risks embracing risk and don't be afraid of the consequences. That is actually really good advice because I don't do any of those things. If you know me, you know that I never leave my house. <laughs> yeah. Also is, me just telling you. <laughs> so that is that is advice that is very personable to me in particular because I think I've definitely been a creature of comfort for the last few years of my life, hence why I've shed all of that skin and now I'm trying <laughs> I'm tr- I'm trying to get out there. I'm trying to, you know, shift my perspective and grow. And I realized I can't do that by staying the same and staying in the same place. So exactly, it's really good advice. I just want to say again how proud I am of you, and I'm so I'm so grateful that that I have you in my life as my brother. Even though we fought a lot growing up and we had a lot of disagreements, and we were very very different, completely different people. You are one of my best friends now, so I love you a lot. Sorry, that just disconnected. You just say that all again. No. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. No, I, I do appreciate the words. Would you, would you take a bullet for me? Yeah, I'd take, I'd take a bullet for you. Really? Yeah, you know, it depends what round. <laughs> oh, that is ultimate. That's Depen- ulti- depends ultimate what love. caliber. Depends what caliber it is. <laughs> okay, well, that's all I need to know. No, right. of course I would. All right. <laughs> Thanks, bro, for coming on the pod. No, it's a pleasure to, a pleasure to be I think you deserve a, a well done mm. and a, I'm proud of you. So, yeah. Thank no, you. I, I really am proud of you. Thanks, bro. All right. All good. Love you. Love you too. All the best. Bye. See ya. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Monumental Podcast. If you would like to show your support, I would really appreciate it if you could give us a follow and a rating and review. That would really help us out. And if you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to see more content, you can follow us on Instagram and TikTok. We are at Monumental Pod.